scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 2, 12 through 17. It reads, having been buried with him, and you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Please be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm always very grateful for the privilege that brings us together to worship God and to study his wonderful word. And I'm very happy that I'm able to do that with you here at Broadway. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. It's always a privilege for us to be together. If you're visiting with us, I hope you'll stay so that we can become better acquainted. Um, the Getwell congregations are very loving, very friendly. The Getwell, the the Broadway congregation. I hadn't been to Getwell in over 20 years. Uh, the Broadway congregation is a very loving and friendly congregation, and I want to uh, encourage you to come and be with us whenever you possibly can tonight at, uh, at 6 o'clock. Uh, thank you for the scripture reading today. Thank you, Jonathan, for the um, singing of these very beautiful songs. Uh, Bring you greetings from Memphis, Tennessee, as I had come from there. Carol and I did visiting with uh, children, grandchildren. My mother's there. She brings you her best regards. She thinks of you all the time, and I am very appreciative of all the cards and the sentiments and expressions during this holiday period of time that you've given. Uh, This is always the time of the year when we think about the new year, of course, and it's a wonderful time. We're going to be talking about um, the state of the church here in, in the next few weeks. I hadn't really decided what Sunday we want to do that. For those of you who are new or visiting, this is something we do every year. We talk about the congregation and some of the things we were able to do and some of the things we want to do, and we'll talk about that in the future. We haven't decided just exactly when, but we will, and that always comes with the new year. With the new year always comes the idea of... Um, resolutions and that kind of thing, and we all make our New Year's Eve resolutions and resolutions, things that we want to do for the coming year. I want to talk about something, though, that I really feel strongly about, and I want to talk to you just very sincerely about this matter, and we looked at it here in Colossians. I turned to Colossians chapter 3, and and notice in verse 12 uh, some of these great passages of Scripture And I want to emphasize that for us today and again, time permitting, tonight. In Colossians chapter 3, notice verse 12, But on them as God's chosen, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, It's a beautiful passage that Paul gives us in the book of Colossians. He is expressing the kind of life that is to be lived in the church of the Lord. When you look at Colossians, you're looking at the preeminence of Christ. And you're looking at the church and life that is to be lived in the church of the Lord. And he brings up this matter, which I feel strongly about, and I know you do as well, this matter of love for the church and love for each other. And he goes through some seven virtues here. But he says the most important of these, of course, is love. And I won't talk about that today. I'm on the throes of a new year and the prospects of all these um, New Year's resolutions that we're prone to make and preachers are prone to preach about, I really think that what we need is to study very carefully what the Bible has to say about this matter of love. Uh, There's a lot of misunderstanding about love that goes on out there. Sunday school teacher one time asked her class, she said, now who can define love? And nobody was able to raise their hand. And then she said, now, who knows what love is or who's ever seen love? And every little hand in the Bible class raised up because every person has felt the warmth of a father's embrace. And every little boy and every little girl has felt the tender love and consideration of a mother's kiss. But we often misuse the word. And the word is taken out of context, biblically speaking. We sometimes say, well, men love hunting dogs and women love new dresses. And we misapply the term when we use it that way with regard to the Bible and the Word of God. So I want to take the time today, especially on the throes of a new year, for us to consider this very, very important biblical concept. And I want us to understand and distinguish it from what it is not. And I believe not only we as a faithful congregation of God's people, but also as a brotherhood, we need to come to a better understanding of what love really means. Now, I know there's a lot of that kind of thing, almost as if love is a golden calf, that it erases all the error and the sin in our life, and it doesn't do that. We're not going to look at love as the ultimate thing, with regard to allowing us to do whatever we want to do, believe whatever we want to believe, and that kind of thing. That's the misunderstanding I want to dispel today. But I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the matter of love and what it really is like. What did God say about it? Not what I think about it, or what, but what has God said? Now, for some reason, I pushed the wrong button, or I did the wrong thing, and I don't have the PowerPoint today. And I worked up this wonderful PowerPoint lesson with color and wording. I even checked the spelling twice. And um, uh, for some reason, it just didn't get on the memory stick, and we can't make it work. So we're not going to see these points, but we're going to see them in our Bible. And I ask you to focus on that particular uh, object Rather than the object up behind me here, we're going to be looking at our Bible. And with your Bible turned to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at this one particular first point that I see out of this text of Scripture. Love is a bond. Now, if you noticed in 
He gave us these important points. Put on then as God's chosen ones. That's the point I made a moment ago. Holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so when I read that Colossians chapter 3, I looked at that word binds. And I said, he's saying that love is the bond that holds all these things together. Look at all those wonderful virtues that we have here, bearing with one another. Isn't that a wonderful virtue for us as Christian people? Humility. Isn't that something we all need to strive for? Kindness. Isn't that something we really need to implement into our lives? Can we not be kinder one toward another and kinder toward our spouse, kinder toward our children, kinder toward our neighbors? Isn't that just part of the Christian way to have a compassionate heart? But then as he goes through all of these wonderful virtues, he says, now above all these, verse 14, there's one that's even more important than all of this. Uh, these wonderful elements of patience. Isn't it wonderful to have patience? I've often felt like that's one thing that the child of God really needs to grow in, and that is patience. Because we live in a culture whereby we want everything and we want it right now. But yet the child of God realizes that better things are off in the distant future. The hope and the realization of having eternal life with God in that place the Bible calls heaven. And we must be patient for that. And the real joy and the real benefit and the blessing that is to be received is in the after a while. We need patience, don't we? But he said even above all that, verse 14, put on love. Love's more important than that. And when he describes above all these things you put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'm studying with you Colossians chapter 3, and I'm looking specifically at verse 14. And one of the first things I learn about biblical love as Paul delineates the matter for us is the fact that it is a bond. It is a type of bond that brings all these other wonderful virtues together. The idea that we can have these particular matters and we can have them in concert with each other. Perfect harmony, perfection. And what actually draws all that particular matter together is this wonderful thing the Bible calls love. Now, when I went to Vine, my favorite expositors, he's a lexicographer. Vine is one who looks up the meaning of words. And the way these fellows do that, these special Greek-Hebrew uh, fellows who spend all their lives studying these wonderful words that we have from these ancient languages is they look at their occurrences and how they occur and then they tabulate all of that and from that they draw a conclusion. This word means this. And we have that here for us in Colossians chapter 3. When Vine went through all of this and he tabulated all these matters of how this word bind and bond is used. He comes up with uh, some deductions with regard to its usage in biblical literature, and he says it's sort of like the ligament that holds the body together. You know, football players, they go out there and they tear a muscle or they tear a ligament or they injure some kind of ligament. The ligament is that tough tissue. You fellows who know these 
physiological aspects know much better than I do, how that it holds the joints and the organs together. And without the ligaments, of course, we would not be able to move and we would have difficulty. And when athletes exert themselves to such an extreme, sometimes they tear or they injure ligaments of the body and the body is crying out, this hurts, this hurts, because an injury has been sustained. And Vine is saying that word bind is like a ligament in the body. This love, Paul is saying, is the spiritual ligament that holds it all together. That love is all the muscles, all the joints, all the organs together, spiritually speaking, in the body of Christ. And above all these put on love, which binds, that's the word, the spiritual ligament of the body. This word's used in other other places in the New Testament. And I found it in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to turn to that particular passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, it comes up in this matter as Paul's talking about how to live the Christian life once again. It's sort of a parallel passage, Ephesians, Colossians. Ephesians in this section is talking about living the Christian life. Colossians chapter 3 was doing the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about walking the right kind of life, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, verse 1. But go on down through the text in Ephesians chapter 4, and you come to verse 16. From whom the whole body, and he's talking about the church there, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm... I'm finding these words here that are telling me about the holding it together. And they translated this word here, knit together, joined together, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And these words are used to say that the thing that holds it all together, the spiritual that knits it together, holds it together, binds it together, this wonderful quality the Bible calls love. It is a bond. That's our first point. And this kindness, patience, meekness, as wonderful as these virtues are, what brings all this harmony is the matter of love. The matter of love. Now, again, nobody is New Testament. That's okay. it's okay to compromise truth. It's okay to to compromise with error. It's okay not to be concerned about living the Christian life. Quite the opposite, because love is telling us to follow the will and the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The New Testament is telling me. But as far as the church is concerned, the church is being told in these particular passages what's holding all this together. The kindness, the unity, the, the brotherly kindness and patience and compassion is this cohesive element the Bible calls love, that we love one another. It is a bond. History tells us world movements have a tendency to degenerate and fall apart. 
If world history told us anything, it shows us very clearly that movements tend to fall apart. Uh, one of the ancient Assyrian kings, and I won't bore you with his name, Ashimadad. But Ashimadad was the kind of guy, he looked down south and he saw the Babylonians and how they were growing. And um, he wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to be a world leader. And this idea of being a world leader in world history. And so he begins to express himself, build a greater army, move out in northern Mesopotamia, the land between the Tigris and Euphrates River Valley. And in turn, he begins to expand in an imperialistic type of approach to expand the kingdom and the empire of Assyria. Assyria one day would become a great empire, but not during his day and time. And he did so much to build the army up. He built so much to, did so much to build the nation up. Babylon is really growing in the southern part of Mesopotamia. He wanted to equal them and rival them in the northern part of Mesopotamia. And, you know, when he died, guess what happened? It all fell apart. It all fell apart and it just dissolved into another city-state, which was common in ancient times. History tells us that a tendency to degenerate. Movements have a tendency to fall apart. We can look at it in our own political movements. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was one of my favorite presidents. He was such a character. He, um, he had served two terms as U.S. president, and then he wanted, to, he wanted a third term which traditionally at that particular time, presidents only served two terms, two four-year terms. Well, Roosevelt, that wasn't enough for him. He wanted another term, but he didn't get the uh, nomination, so he started his own political party called the Bull Moose Party. The Bull Moose Party. And people loved Roosevelt at the time. He was quite a leader, very charismatic type of leader. Um, he was headed for a speech on one occasion, and somebody took out a gun, walked right up to him and shot him. And he had his glasses in a metal case in his pocket right here, and his speech was in his pocket of his coat, and the bullet went through the speech and into the um, glasses case, but deflected the bullet enough where it did not injure him in a mortal way, though he was injured. The doctors wanted him to go and um, to... Um, Go to the doctor, to the hospital. He said, no, it's going to take more than that to stop a bull moose. And he goes on and he gives a rousing speech for an hour. And where's the bull moose party today? It disintegrated. History shows that movements disintegrate. They fall apart. They will not last. For the church to continue. So that it will not fall apart. It must have this bond which holds it all together. Without this bond, the Bible is talking about. The church will become fragmented. It will become divided. It will become this little place and that little place. And it will not be the kind of congregation. It will not be the movement that God wants it to be to influence our world for what is right and to teach people the word of God and the gospel of Christ. Because it's become fragmented. It's a little here and it's a little there. If we allow the church to become fragmented and divided into such small little chasms here and chasms there, little groups here and little groups there, it'll become fragmented and individualistic. And it will not have the force and the thrust that God wants it to have 
in the world in which we live. What it needs is the bond that holds it all together. Once again, for the third time, I'm going to say, no one's talking about compromising with error here. If you go out that door and that's the point altogether. No one here is trying to say compromise with the world and be more like the world or love the world. Nobody's saying that at all here at this pulpit. But what I am saying is we church of the Lord become individualistic and fragmented. There is a bond that's to hold us all together, and that bond is love. When we face the problem, let us face it with the determination that we're going to love God more, we're going to love His Son more, we're going to love His Word more, and we're going to love others more, and we're going to love lost souls more than we ever have before. It is the bond. Sometimes when you get into a congregation, congregations will develop a thing called cliques. Have you ever seen that happen? I began to think about this particular matter, and I thought, you know, I'm going to study this for a minute. So I thought, and I wrote down, I think I've seen in congregations. Cliques, you see, divide the congregation up into little groups here and little groups there. And when you get into your own little clique, then, of course, you fail to reach out to a family or someone else who's not a part of that little group. It is a fragmentation of the body, that which we must preach and teach against. One of the cliques that I've seen in congregations is called the family clique. That's what I call it. It's the family clique. I preached for a congregation one time years ago, and I noticed that when we... uh, We'd sit down and have dinners together and fellowship meals together and enjoy the company and fellowship one with another. Um, that there was a certain table and all that family, that was the only ones that would sit at that table. I happened to notice that. So I decided, well, I'm going to sit over there and sit with them. And I walked over and said, may I sit down? And they looked at me and I said, well, sure, if you want to, go ahead and sit down. And I could tell it wasn't a very warm invitation to sit down. And it was clear to me by that time that this family has a click going on in this congregation. Now, I'm talking about years ago. And um, they really weren't interested in reaching out to members of the congregation other than their immediate family. Sometimes we can develop family cliques where we're only interested in physical family. We're not so interested in those in the spiritual family of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's just our particular family that we're interested in having fellowship with. And we never really reach out. We don't reach out to be involved in the lives of other members of the congregation. We've got our family right here. We've got our family clique, and we're very comfortable with that. It's a fragmentation of the body of Christ. And it's a failure to importance of love that is the bond that holds us all together in Christ Jesus. There's a mutual interest clique. Have to be careful about this one. A mutual interest clique. We have certain mutual interests. I have certain interests, and so for that reason, I gravitate to people only with those interests. 
It may be athletics or sports or that kind of thing. Or it may be uh, hunting or it may be politics or it could be whatever the mutual interest clique might be. It might be cars and restoring old cars. It could be just about anything. But I kind of gravitate to those people who have that particular interest in mind. And I seem to leave out anyone else with regard to the body of Christ. But I'm fragmenting when I do that, the body of Christ, and I only gravitate to the people that have my interest, the same interest that I might have with regard to worldly-minded things. It's a fragmentation, you see. Clicks. I'll tell you another click I think I've seen in congregations, and that's the uh, educational click. Educational click grouping of certain ones who attained a certain level of education, whether it be college or uh, graduate school or postgraduate work or whatever it might be. We kind of gravitate to that particular person or that particular family, and we exclude others from our fellowship and the importance which we would show of the people because we've reached a certain educational clique out here and, and we've got our grouping and you're not, a, you're not involved in it and you're not allowed in it. And, and we sort of keep it together as our own little group. And what I'm preaching and teaching against for the present is the idea that this fragmentation and individualistic type of idea with regard to the body of Christ is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about love being the bond of perfection. We've got to get out of attitude and idea. Sometimes, and I've seen this, the mutual responsibility click. Now, the mutual responsibility clique is the kind of clique whereby, uh, let's say, and I'll just use uh, anyone, I'll use myself as an example, I guess, they're only, I only, the preachers, because I'm a preacher, and that's the only interest that I have is what other preachers say and do, and we have interests, and I exclude everyone else. Or it could be the deacons. Maybe I'm a deacon, and I just associate with other deacons because we have a lot of things we have to do. And for that reason, I'm really not interested in anything in anybody else of the congregation because they're not a deacon, or it could be elders. Elders are elders, and the elders only associate with each other, and they don't have anything to do with anyone else in the congregation. It's a clique. It should not be. Mutual responsibility cliques. So another click I'm going to mention. Of clicks, and the reason I'm talking about this, so we don't stray from the point, and that is this defeats the bond of perfection, love. It destroys the congregation, disintegrates the congregation, disintegrates a brotherhood. If all we're interested in is our little click. And that click that I'd like to for a brief moment is the income click. If you don't make an amount of income, you can't be part of the click. If you on a different lower level of income, you have your group to associate with, but we have a different level of income. And we've been blessed in this wonderful way. And therefore, we're going to associate with our group that has that kind of income. 
Failing to see the need of blessing others as we have been blessed, we simply limit our fellowship and limit our interest and our concerns toward the body with those who are in our little group. It's the click. It's the income click. Whereby the body of Christ is dividing itself up, you see, in little groups, fragmenting itself. The very thing that causes disintegration in a body or a movement, that which defeats the cliques, that which brings the body stronger together and makes it the force that God wants it to be, is the love that we should the bond of perfection. He says, that's what joins it all together. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow that it, it builds itself up in love. That's the Ephesians you and I have been working out of Colossians chapter 3. And a verse 14, and above all, which binds, and that's our word, everything together in perfect harmony, getting rid of the cliques, getting rid of the this little group and that little group, all of us falling in love with God and God's word, obedient to the word of God, yet at the same time loving one another. Because we're all part of Christ. When I read from the pages of the New Testament about love, there's a lot more about this wonderful word than what first meets the eye. And there's a lot of misunderstanding and misapplication with regard to the matter of love out there in the religious world and in the thinking of all those around us. The second point I'd like to make today is time will give me the opportunity to do so. Love is not only a bond, but love is a mantle. From this I saw 4 and verse 8. And I ask your attention in this particular matter. Above all, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Well, I came to First Peter 8, and I saw that word cover. And I wanted to look up, what does that word cover really mean? And that word cover means as a mantle. It covers over. It covers over the mistakes. It covers over all the problems that the other makes. Proverbs 10 and verse 12 is an interesting passage that helps me understand it. Hate stirreth up strife, but love covers all sin. In other words, when we love the individual like we really should, we're not going to be nitpicking here and there and picking at that one and criticizing that one because love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 and 12, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. I remember very clearly when my children were young, and I'd warn my children, I don't want you running through the hallways in the auditorium and in the church building. You might um, cause someone to stumble and fall. 
Do not be running around in the auditorium. Don't be running around here and I'd have to teach them and I'd have to instruct them and sometimes I'd have to get serious with them because I had a boy that wanted to run all with the other boys. I said, you can't do it. I don't want you to do that. But if you were to ask me the question, who are the best kids in the congregation, I could tell you in a minute. They're my kids. My kids are the best kids. And you know why? Now, my kids did the same thing the other kids would do. They would try to act like the other kids. They would run in the building like the other kids, and we'd coach them and that kind of thing. But when it came down to it, when you ask me, well, the best kids in the congregation, they're my kids. And I'll tell you why I say that. I love them. I love them. Now, you can take that love too far. You can make that love an experience where you're blind to the problems and the issues that your children have. If you're going to love your kids to the point where you're blind to the problems and you fail to correct as you should, then you're not seeing your children like you really should see them. You should see them and correct them and help them understand what is the right way from the wrong way and teach them to respect the right way and, of course, teach them about consequences that take place when we don't follow the correct way and the right way. You can be blind to the problems of your children. But at the same time, you love your children. And you know, these are the greatest kids in all the world. Tis gentle, delicate, and kind. And the faults passionate and are blind. The poet is trying to tell us in that regard, we overlook a lot of the little things here and there because we love them. We love them. It is a mantle, and it covers. Should we not wear this mantle when it comes to the church of the Lord? Rather than being super sensitive, showing a lack of love, being very quick to point this out, quick to point that out, should we not also exercise this mantle of love that we have for our own families with regard to the spiritual family of Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord? And not be so quick to point out, not so nitpicky here, not so nitpicky there. Shouldn't we be a little more loving? I'll say it again. No one is condoning sin here. No one is condoning error. No one is saying that we should not point out error and rebuke it and teach the truth with regard to whatever the matter is. But what we are saying in this regard is love is a mantle, and love will cause us to be considerate and kind and tender-hearted toward those that are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. If we need a message, for, let us understand what the biblical teaching of love really is all about. Part of the biblical teaching of love is that it's a mantle, covers over the problems, that kind of thing. I remember a long time ago, and I looked up to this man so much, a long time ago, and... Um, he would come to worship service, come to Bible class, and he's always picking out the problem here, picking out the problem there. 
here's a problem, there's a problem, there. He's picking out this problem, picking out that problem. And I thought, you know, I wonder if he's that way at home. If a man goes and he's constantly nitpicking at his wife, is that an indication of a lack of love? Where he finds something wrong with that and he's talking about this and he's talking about that and this doesn't done right and that wasn't done to his expectation and it's a constant nitpicking 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 over this and that and the other is that an indication of something there with regard to that marriage and that family life with regard to that husband and his love for his wife or the wife who's constantly nitpicking and nitpicking about her husband over this or that Is that not some kind of barometer telling us that there's a problem here with regard to the relationship which they share one toward the other? And is that not also an issue? When members of the church come, they in turn find fault with this and find fault with that. There are times when we need to be corrected because we make mistakes. We need to be brought back to the be taught this is what the word of God says we've strayed away from it and we need to be brought back because we're human beings but when we do that should we not do that with a spirit and an attitude of love in our heart because we love that individual and because we love the church of the Lord you know what Peter's saying in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 Peter's saying in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 that love is a mantle that it covers a multitude of sins Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. It helps us to teach and encourage. Isn't that exactly what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 7? In that great Sermon on the Mount, when he said in that great passage of Scripture, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the ounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? See, he's talking about an overly harsh kind of judgment. And we put up in our own life what we refuse to put up in somebody else's life. Let us correct ourselves giving us the opportunity to help correct someone else, and even in that regard, to do it in a spirit of love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I want to understand more about this love. But it's not so much what I think about it or what you think about it. I want to understand more about this love, what the New Testament and the Bible teach me about it. I want to understand what God has really said. And then I'm going to work hard at applying it to my life. And then I'm going to use this year to try to change my life and be the kind of loving person I really need to be. Because you know what love is? Love's a bond that holds all these things together. You know what love is? That covers a multitude of sins. As you might surmise, I'm certainly not through with this particular matter. I want to talk about this again tonight. And I know people who love God and who love God's Word, and you have such respect for the Word of God and and respect for one another, that you want to do things 
the way God said do it, and, and you want to be what God wants you to be. And I know that I'm speaking to people who are that way, who have that kind of heart and that kind of mind for the Word of God. Let's get together with open hearts and open minds and study what the Bible has to say about what real genuine love is and then apply it to ourselves, helping the church to grow stronger in love for each other, stronger in our love for His Word, stronger in our love for Jesus Christ, and in our love for God. And if we fail in that, we've missed the whole point of our being here in this life, to grow in love for God, to do what God has told me to do, and be what God has told me to be, to repent of my sins. And that is but a discussion, Luke 13, 3, Acts 17, 30 and 31, about giving up my love of sin and my practice of sin. To repent of my sin is to give up my love of it and to give up the practice of it. To confess my faith in Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and to be baptized into Christ, that is, immersed in water for the remission of sins as Christ is taught and inspired apostles and prophets of the New Testament have taught me. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Romans chapter 6, 4 through 6. Acts 22 and 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Give it up. Give up the love of this world and grow in your love for God and be obedient to His will and be a part of the church you read about in the New Testament. Not some kind of denominational body that you see out here in the landscape, but the church that you read about in the pages of the Bible, the Word of God. And when you're obedient to the gospel of Christ, Christ adds you to His church, Acts 2 and verse 41 and 47. I urge you to grow this year in your love for God. And I urge you to start. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.